Welcome back, viewers and listeners, to Challenging Leadership. This is a new podcast with me, Stephen Mather, and... Jared Scott. Marvellous. So, thank you very much for joining us. So, I'll let you introduce the subject, Jared, because I think this was one you really wanted to talk about, and you've said in our little pre-chat that you're very passionate about this topic. So, uh, do you want to introduce what our topic is for today, please? Absolutely, Stephen. So today, I'd love it if we could talk a little bit about the uh, leadership and the aspect of leading through change. Um, change is something that we can all struggle with, but as we've seen, the world seen has changed in the past three to four years, and there's been a lot of changes in the office environment and the workplace. It's made it uh, challenging for leaders to be able to accommodate all of these changes. So we're going to talk about change and there's going to be some controversy, I'm sure. I don't know if we're going to get aggravated with each other, but we're going to, we're going to definitely never get mad with you, Jared. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we might disagree. I think, I think it is quite a, um, oh, it's a very interesting topic. It's something that we covered on, on the masters uh, for quite some time. And I think that was quite a formative experience for me. Um, I think most managers have opinions about change. Most of us feel like we've been through various different changes in organizations for for various different types. So, you know, um, processes change, structures change, ownership changes, um, the the environment that we're operating in seems to change. So, yeah, we feel like we're we're under constant uh, change forces. So, yeah, where do you want to start with this conversation then? Have you got any sort of definition of what we mean when we're talking about it? Sure. I mean, you know, change, change can happen uh, in so many places. And I think almost if you broke it down into two categories, like you have, you have change that uh, a company may decide to, to go through, and then you have change that we're forced into. So, you know, like if we wanted to say an example of a forced change is, Obviously, we had this dynamic that lasted for decades on what a typical office environment looked like. And then with the COVID pandemic, it forced everyone to change. Whether you liked it or not, there was some adaptability that had to be brought in. Um, And so you have that. And that versus a company may say, hey, we'd like to go ahead and introduce this new technology or we'd like to change the way that we handle certain situations. Um, and there's where maybe it can be more challenging because then you have everybody, oh, I have an opinion here. We can we can talk about that. Whereas with the other situation, you can have opinions all day long. But at the end of the day, do you have much control over it? Probably not. Um, so so I think uh, that's that's where we go uh, with this. And um, maybe it's better to, to, to jump into the uh, the changes that happen because of decisions that are made and how do we how do we handle those like what are the do's and the don'ts and you know um one one of the things that got me going or got the the juices going was thinking about a real life example of this where you had a uh, company netflix that uh, originally was started with uh and i i hear this is now outdated they they stopped a, a week or so ago sending out dvds you know, so I don't even have a DVD player anymore, Stephen. But, but back in the day, I can remember being so excited as a child because we had Blockbuster, and we go to, 
my uh, my parents would take us to Blockbuster and you could pick out a VHS tape. Mm. And it was so disappointing if that one Disney movie or whatever you're wanting was gone. It was missing. <laughs> Somebody got it. Yeah. And, you know, you're like, oh, we'll have to wait for another weekend. Yeah. You know, back back in the day, for anyone that's uh, a younger listener, you actually couldn't stream anything. You had to, right. you had to wait a year mm-hmm. after it came out from the theater to watch it again. But, um, but you know, Blockbuster was the go-to place to get that. And then Netflix says, hey, what if we just say we're going to mail the movies to you? And, um, you know, that was that was such an exciting thing. But then they uh, they got tired of the uh, late fees, uh, you know, because if you didn't bring a blockbuster tape back on time, uh, then the late fees would become astronomical. Um, So Netflix was like, hey, keep it as long as you want and then send it back when you're done and we'll send you the next one in the queue. And um, so anyway, that led into more change because then people said, oh, we've got this thing called the internet with high speed and now you can stream movies. And uh, I'm, I'm sure in the UK you have Netflix uh, where you can you know, flip through and just pick whatever you want on demand. And uh, Blockbuster kind of got left behind with that because they were so stuck on that model. And um, so anyway, there's an example of, of change where it went good and uh, one where it did not go so well. Um, all right, so that's a really interesting uh, real life example, and I think a lot a lot of us think about think about those um, those sort of decisions that were made. I mean, Blockbuster is a cautionary tale, I think, for most analysts, isn't it? It's like you know they they had the market. All they needed to do was was think about where was this this technology going, and it, yeah, sure, you know, at some point there's a trigger. But it clearly was going to go to streaming at some point, and they were so slow to get on that um, that bandwagon that yeah, others just beat them to it. Netflix in particular. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and and the thing that is interesting is, I mean, it's easy to look back on and say, oh, the big dummies. But but when you're in the moment, yeah. Uh, there, there also there needs to be a point where you say, I don't need to jump on the latest trend, you know, because I, I had a friend who did that. And I don't know if you remember that for, for like a flash in the pan, they had these mini discs for music. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. Like like three or four months and then boom, it was gone. <laughs> Everything yeah. went to MP3 or whatever. But, you know, imagine everybody that invested all that money in those things. And that was a failure, too. So I think. Uh, not every change is good and you in and, and being you can't be so adaptable that you just turn every time the wind changes sometimes you need to have some yeah. robustness to your your business model so that you can resist change um, that can be good but but also knowing when you resist change uh, too much and mm. you get blown over you collapse under the strain of resisting it yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, and I suppose we're we're talking here at a very high strategic level. Um, so this these are decisions that need to be made at the highest level in terms of where we're going to invest our um, projects. What what are we going to do in you know five years time? I suppose really. So sure. there's some real long term thinking there. Um, and so at, at a slightly lower level of organizational structure we we have middle managers and others perhaps they're they're more the people that that i talk to i suppose on a a more regular basis um and they're the ones that have to then implement these whatever these changes are and i guess there's a pressure there 
to stick with what we know, you know. So those middle managers knew what they were doing. They knew the processes. They knew what worked and they were pretty good at it and uh, everything worked quite well. So why would you, from their perspective, have to change everything? It's expensive, you know, and as you say, there are examples of jumping too quick. So, yeah, there's there's an inertia within the organisation, I suppose, to keep things as they are. And from a strategic position, you might feel like, you know, you want to change things, but you're getting block, you're having blockage from um, the organization itself, which which I think leads to a lot of the discussion around change. Yes. So in my experience, yes. a lot of the discussion around change is, you know, how do you um, implement changes uh, within organizations? Now, this could be because of some external threats, uh, like a like a Netflix or some other uh, disruptor, or it could be because we're just not doing something very well. We're not actually servicing the customer very well, or there's a, another external issue, um, or we we have opportunities to do things better. So we, we could actually be more efficient or um, take advantage of an opening somewhere. So oh. I, I guess that's where most of us find our experience of change it's it's like how how are we coping when when the organization wants to make a change um and have you got any thoughts about that sort of the good ways to do that or the not so good ways to do that sure well i mean um you know looking at that level which definitely is where the majority of people are going to be affected um the biggest thing that i've seen is that you know, when you have change, you're dealing with an emotional feeling. And there's some when when you're when you're uncertain, like if change comes, there's an email that comes through or somebody says, hey, we're going to have a big meeting about some changes, whether it's a new manager or whatever it is. Um, you feel so uncomfortable. I mean, I think is a is a rule. Most people do not like change, um, but you can ease that change or that feeling. One, I think being very transparent. Um, communicating transparently can help. And I, I've seen it so many times where it's like, it's got to be a big secret or let's not, let's not give too much of the picture. Um, and and I'm, I'm like the exact opposite. I like to let everybody know everything that I can possibly know that's going on because I, I feel like, and that's, that's just me feeling how I feel is I feel more comfortable when I know, Hey, this is where we're going. Uh, I like to see the whole map, not just the next exit. I need to get off of the highway. Um, but being open and honest about the reasons for change uh, can help, um, you know, because people are going to draw their own conclusions anyway. Um, but you'd rather the, let them draw the conclusions that you you basically painted the picture for them ahead of time and said, hey, this is where we're going with this. Um, you got to engage people, I think, involve them. Uh, you know, the old uh, the old uh, I don't know. My parents always said. Why do we have, why do we have to do this? And mom and dad would say, because we told you so we're the parents, you know, and I don't, you know, say, why are we doing this as well? Cause I'm the boss. And it's like, eh, you know, that, that kind of can invoke a little bit of resistance to it, even if the change is absolutely necessary and it's beneficial for the organization or for the employees as individuals. Um, but, but just being open, being open and transparent, I think is a good way to start. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I definitely agree. I agree with that principle entirely. I suppose um, the, uh, the the slightly controversial element to this, I suppose, is is there is a there is a, a 
a, an area of research that is questioning this idea of of constant change and and it's mm-hmm. um the, the the i guess the question isn't if you talk about something really really high level like netflix um disrupting yeah. a, a whole industry then i guess it's hard to argue that 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 is a change and that's being brought on by some external force, whether that be a company or something else. And COVID, I guess, is another example of that. Although you could argue in both of these cases, the change was already coming. It's just yeah. that, um, and and it's, you, you could say that it was a natural process. It's just that maybe COVID... Um, accelerated that that change i mean we were already starting to have meetings online for many years the technology's kind of been there um but we we just needed that little push to do more of that you know and now we don't think twice about having a zoom meeting for instance which before i you know i'm not sure we we would have done so i guess but but the argument i suppose so here's here's something to throw into the mix so in in the literature there's two types of change that is mentioned Mm -hmm. There's episodic change and there's continuous change. And if we think about and how we frame change in many ways determines how we're going to approach it. So the the old fashioned and sort of traditional way of thinking about change is that um, the management identify something that we need to do differently. That sometimes comes from an external pressure or it comes from an identification that the customer needs something different um or we want to be more efficient to reduce waste or you know these are all kind of drivers of change but ultimately it's the management that decide that we could do these things better or we need to respond to this this thing that's happened therefore we as management then drive the change and so then it's about how we actually go about doing that and and I think I've been in your corner um and I've I've tried to push for uh, involvement as soon as possible to get people to feel that they have some control over what's happening and at least communicate what is going to happen give the reasons for the change and all of those sorts of things and that again is the way that we've been trained to deliver change as managers i think and and the more progressive of us always wanted to do that in a um a collaborative way but ultimately it's the management that decides what has to happen and that's because we are seeing change as something that is unusual it's an episode of change and then so this this harks back to lewin who is one of the kind of original uh people who framed change you 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 know you've come across lewin before i'm sure with in terms of autocratic and democratic leadership and so on uh Mm -hmm. lewin also did a lot of work on change and his model was um a three-step model for change it was unfreeze change or transform and then refreeze so the mm-hmm. idea is that things are going along um as they always have things are you know basically cast in stone this is what happens and then in order for us to change we have to unfreeze this great monolith that is the process yeah. or the organization so we unfreeze it and that's the bit everybody doesn't like because oh i know what i'm doing and i don't like having yeah, to change yeah. so you unfreeze yeah. it then you make your changes so it's then that you do the change of process or the change of personnel or whatever it is um, and then you freeze it again so you had a process then you have to unfreeze it and now you freeze it again so this this is the kind of model and from this comes people like 
John Cotter, um, who is probably the most famous change guru, if you like. I mean, I've got I've got his book here. Um, one of his books, anyway. Uh, which, <laughs> which leading change? There we go. Um, I mean, he's he's in many ways the the big guru, and lots of people I've met treat him like he's some sort of religious figure. You know, you, oh, we, if we're going to change, we need to know what John Cotter has to say. And he's got his eight steps of change, you know, establish yeah. urgency, create a guiding coalition, and so on. Um, but again, this, this assumes that you've got this really fixed, very understood um, process or system or organisation that people are doing it this way, and then you need to come in and disrupt that, unfreeze it, change it, and then freeze it again. And then it carries on like that for the rest until until we decide to change it again. And the, I think the challenge is, is that really what's happening? So this episodic idea that oh, it, it's it's stable and then it's not, and then it's stable again. So there's there's a challenge that, which is where I, I come from, uh, writers like um, Carl Weick, who... Um, He's an academic who challenges this idea that says, actually, change is continuous. Um, change is always happening. You know, we we don't, uh, we can't think about um, stability in the same way. Actually, what's happening is there's always little adjustments being made. People are changing. People are making decisions to, to alter what we're doing and how we're doing it. So there isn't a real stability. And, and this is, this is where, uh, when we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago, I, I made this illustration. It's on my courses. I talk about this on my training courses. Mm-hmm. That I'll plug at this point. Um, uh, you know, log on to the uh, to the ProPEC training school. And you can get my courses. But the yes. the illustration I use, the metaphor I use, is like day and night. So, and towards the end of the the day, you start to see it getting dark. So it goes from day to night. It goes from light to dark. And you could say that is a change. Um, but the fact is it does that every single day. Um, sure, the, the time periods change as the seasons change, but ultimately you get a period of light and then you get a period of darkness. This is day, this is night. That is a predictable thing that happens. Therefore, at one level, you can say that it's constantly changing. But on a different level, you can say that it's always the same. You can always anticipate that there are going to be those changes. So change in that case is continuous, not episodic. And it, it's both, you know, so you can, it depends how you want to look at it. But yeah. it means that if you see it as um, continuous and that changes, <laughs> excuse the pun, changes the way that you then start thinking about how you manage it. So, you know, I've, yeah. I've rabbited on for quite a while there. I don't know what you No, thoughts. no, it's good. It's good information. I, I I, have to I have to agree with you, but I think the danger there is that, you know, you're going to lose, lose people. I almost think about like a change is like transplanting, taking a plant from one area and then putting it somewhere else. And do you you get all the roots do you get everything with it and then and then put it there and I always say you have these stragglers left behind where some people are not going they're they're very resistant to change and they're going to they're going to keep doing it the old way as long as humanly possible and so so constant change the caution there i think is that um do you let the roots get in or do you you know, you're always moving around. And so it's like maybe incremental changes, very small things so that people don't get so rigid. It's like a, I feel like it's a, it's a ballet or a fine balance of like 
don't get so rigid, but also don't constantly change because then, you know, ultimately I think companies want stability. People want stability in their life. Um, and it made me think about, there was this uh, illustration. I don't remember the, uh, the biodome or the earth dome. They had, they had these people that tried to act like they were on another planet and they had this encapsulated yeah. Yeah. Uh, biosphere. I think maybe that's the proper term, but they, uh, they noticed that the, um, the trees there were falling over inside the dome and they couldn't figure out why. And then they figured it out is like the, the, uh, the earth has wind. And so the trees actually, when the, when the wind blows against the trees, the wiggling, it causes the roots to kind of grasp for a better, better stronghold. Actually, the roots were being fortified by, I'll call the wind change. And, um, so, so in the same event, they were saying, well, there's no wind in there because it's isolated. It has this dome over it. The trees would just fall over because the roots weren't developing. They had everything, the water, nutrients, but no wind. And it made me think that, you know, change, maybe, maybe a hurricane is what the way some change happens where it's just a massive amount of wind and it blows people over, you, you know, and, uh, or it moves them to different spots. Whereas maybe incremental small changes, because the danger is if you just let's have change just to have change. I think change needs to be purposeful, but it can't be abrupt. Abrupt change is just going to leave people in chaos and scattered and you're going to lose people along the way. Um, you know, and maybe that's there was a course correction. Sure, I agree that change was coming, but COVID was like a punch. It was like it was like you're going to have to do something now. And uh, we even see where change didn't occur. Some people are like, nope, nobody can work from home. And then people are like, fine, I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, yeah. it's 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 interesting how it's all all happened, but it's probably been going on for a long time. You know. Yeah, I, I think that's right, and um, I, I, you know, I think we probably violently agree on this. Actually, um, in yeah. that, um, <laughs> the, it, it, I think it 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 depends how you look at it. So, yeah, if you're making small incremental changes, then in a way, change just becomes the norm it, it, it's it's like um the way that actually the way we do things around here is that we constantly adapt to these yeah. uh the way that the organization waxes and wanes and the customers wants and needs and we, we're constantly able to do that but that is a very much that's a very different sort of model of change to your john cotter sort of top down Right. This is now that the big I am comes in as the consultant and says, right, this is the way that you do it. You first have to I mean, um, his uh, I don't know if you read his books, but his first he's still very respected. Um, but his first stage of his eight stage process is to create a strong sense of um, essentially foreboding that you've got to change something. Otherwise, everything's going to be an, an absolute disaster so he calls it establish a sense of urgency to do the change and actually when you read his book he he, he says well if there isn't anything essentially i mean this is my interpretation of it i don't want to um you know get in i don't want to libel against me but my <laughs> the way i read it is he's saying if you can't find anything make something up actually make it happen yourself so disrupt something tell people you're gonna have to do it a completely different way now um, and I remember this happening in businesses I've worked in before where some 
kind of urgent disaster was uh, cooked up um, in the the senior management team to tell us that if we don't do something soon, this is going to be an absolute disaster. And the, this, I, I now know what they were doing. You know, I know that this was they were following the the Cotter playbook. Now, yeah. um, this is a very top down way of thinking, and it. And I suppose what I get concerned about is that this is a, a fairly arrogant way of managing your team. It's like saying, um, as the managers, we know what's best um, and we are going to impose this upon the workforce. We're going to lie to you as well, by the way, uh, make you scared. <laughs> yeah. And um, and we're going to make sure that you see it as really, really serious and you've got to do it this way. And I think, you know, what you described was this, this much more dynamic um, constant change and it, it reminds me of things like the Deming cycle, you know, the plan, do, check, act sort of cycle, which mm-hmm. lots of organizations do variations of this sort of thing where, you know, you 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 plan to do something, you take the action, you observe the uh, the effect of that, and then you, you make further changes. This is a continuous improvement sort of cycle. And I think mm-hmm. that's actually what happens much more within industries. So we we should be equipping our people to be able to do that really really well and the the time when you get the the big bertha change you know when the the real like the the netflix the streaming phenomena let's say and, and responding to that that's very rare and the covid change that's pretty rare actually most of the time if we can equip our people with the skills to identify when things are not quite working and and making adjustments, whilst at the same time identifying processes, writing those processes down so everybody knows the right way to do it. You know, I think that's a much more, uh, a much more useful way of thinking about change personally. Yeah. But you know, the other part of it is, is that sometimes the, 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 the head honchos, the, the big guys up top, they, they see the bigger picture and there's, there's, uh, there's, they know what's going to work. I, I, um, I think about uh, Henry Ford. He said, um, he said, and and I'm not quoting exactly. He's like, if I gave everybody what they wanted, then they would have just gotten a faster horse. And uh, you know, that, that to me reminds me sometimes they know what is best. Honestly, there there's sometimes I think that CEOs and, and these higher up managers get this, they're the villains or, you know, it's all about money. Sure. But they also go, I know what's going to lead this company into the next decade of success or whatever it may be. But where it goes wrong is if there's not that, uh, Hey, this is how we're going to do it or, or getting buy-in from, from mid-level managers or buy-in from even the, the, the employees you have to, you have to have that support structure. Otherwise, you'll be uh, leading nobody because they'll just go somewhere else. And then, then you've got the other issue where based on the economy, if the economy is great and there's plentiful jobs, then, you know, it's almost like the, uh, the uh, tail wags the dog as it were. (laughs) But then when you have tough times, then the, uh, the, the leaders are able to basically impose their will. Of course they, they should have a greater, uh, strategic knowledge of the sector and what's coming down the track. I, I totally understand that. You know, so of course it's the it's the senior management team at um, 
at blockbusters it's the it's the board that, that are to blame for the fact that they didn't start um thinking about this new new idea called streaming that um was never going to catch on you know so of course it's it's yeah. their fault but i i think that actually proves my point in that a lot of these okay. senior leaders um they of course they want everybody to believe they've got their act together and they know what's happening and they they can see the runes um and tell you what's going to happen in the future but i think we see over and over again these senior managers they they go from role to role they 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 make a mess and then they go to the next one they make a mess there um and I, i'm not sure i i don't have the confidence that you do jared in these guys uh well i mean you know maybe maybe these ones you're worried about need to listen to this podcast and that yeah. way they'll, they'll, they'll be doing better you know i mean sure i, I don't know I, I like to be optimistic of it but but I, I do i do see your point with that um because i mean there's there is there is a uh, track track record of carnage left behind by me here, here's, here's some more money go somewhere else but maybe i was thinking at a lower yeah. level i don't know <laughs> Yeah, I think there's got to be a there's got to be a sort of happy medium. Uh, you do, of course, you have to, if you're going to be in any leadership role, there has to be an element of, okay, then there is some sort of vision that needs to be uh, communicated that needs to be formed in the first place. So, of course, there's there's a need for leaders to lead. I get that, but um, I think the there is a danger that, and this happens in the literature as well, is that the way it's painted is that the the workforce, they don't really understand anything and they're quite irrational actors. So they get worried about losing their job or worried about doing this or that, and they don't like change. And we as the management, we're the rational actors and we've got to somehow um, – help them through this difficult time by sort of stroking them and uh, giving them so first of all giving them the fear that they've got to change and then stroking them and helping them through this little narrow pen as the sheep they are um, mm. and it's it's quite condescending so I, I actually think um is that really what's happening you know so so one of the things that i i often think about is when whenever a manager starts talking about change or so i work in in business improvement a lot of the time so i deliver management training but i also work in uh, things like lean process improvement and so on mm -hmm. so as soon as you get a consultant in let's say to do some work on lean which is about reducing waste um the first thing what's the first thing that the workforce are going to start worrying about? You know, if I turn up as a lean consultant and you say to the workforce, you know, we've got I'm this waste. guy. You're going to get rid of me. They're going to get rid of me because I'm going to be a waste. Yeah. So yeah. straight away, there is a, a fear. Now I might think to myself, well, this is irrational because I'm not, that's not what lean is about. Actually lean mm -hmm. is about uh, reducing wasteful activity and adding value and so on. And it's not necessarily about, just reducing headcount you know sometimes it's the opposite but it's about whatever we're doing making sure that we're always adding value or we're adding as much yes. value as possible to the activity and so i know that but they don't know that therefore i'm the rational actor and they're the irrational but i don't think it's irrational to have a fear when you hear that this thing called lean the very mm. word means to reduce remove the fat um you know i think it's it's completely rational so 
So I think there's a yeah. risk, and I suppose that's the bit I'm pushing back on is is I, I want to try and and this is what I try to do in my training courses. It's not to say that as a leader, we and a manager, we don't have responsibility to make change happen or identify the need for change and implement it. But we have to be very careful, I think, that we don't have this impression that we're the rational actors and it's the workforce that kind of just need to be um, yeah. you know, influenced and pushed through. And so you talked about buy-in before, which is a yeah. is a kind of famous uh way of trying to implement successful change so i i challenge that a little bit and i say if you're looking at buy-in um what does this make you if you're talking about buy-in this makes you a salesman or a saleswoman doesn't it because it's sales people that try to sell things so basically this makes you a salesperson and yes. my my argument is that it would be better not to because I know what I'm being sold to, you know, you mm -hmm. know that as well, and I don't like mm -hmm. it. I, I get quite quite yeah. uppity when I think that somebody's trying to flog me something. So <laughs> if somebody's trying to sell me something, I'm thinking, yeah. right, I'm not having this because they're yeah. spinning the world the way they want so that they can flog it me, mm -hmm. so that they can sell it to me. So I yeah. would prefer us to think about rather than becoming a salesperson, let's let's create a condition where together we can identify the need for change we can equip people with the, the tools that can identify the need for it and operate that change and then it becomes theirs so we no longer have to sell it to them the change actually already belongs to them because mm -hmm. they've identified the need for it and i think that's different for a big change you know like a yeah. complete organizational restructure or something sure. but in the vast majority of change 90 percent, i would say it's actually about equipping the team to notice things that need to change and to have a process and the skills to be able to make those things happen. And that's actually the vast amount, the vast majority of change that happens in organizations. That's my view. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree there. I remember we, we implemented, I was part of a, uh, a project. We, we did the, um, the Kaizen and the, you know, yeah. get rid of the Muda yeah. or the waste and Six Sigma and all of that. Yeah. And I was leading up a project and, you know, we approached it from the sales side, you know, like I was, I was like super passionate about it here. I had become the thing that I hated <laughs> the most. <laughs> and it was like, we weren't, it, well, well, you know, I, I go to Europe and I learn how to do all this the right. I'm like, I come back and I'm like, man, it works so great. They increased their productivity yeah. and everybody's just rolling their eyes at me. And it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't until we actually said, Hey, Let's go into this. Uh, we, we were we were redoing the way we we manufactured product and and assembling it. And I said, let's let's get your ideas. This is what do you think would make this process better? When you got buy-in from the individuals, then the change started to occur. Um, you know, because because uh, even uh, Toyota and others that did these optimization projects. You, you have to get the workers to go along with it. Otherwise they're going to fight the change. I mean, there's that resistance again. So, so yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Cause no, no amount of uh, pizza parties and somebody getting up there and cheering everybody on is going to uh, yes. going to do anything. Even yeah. free beer isn't going to get it. <laughs> They'll just drink your beer and Absolutely. still do the same thing <laughs> that they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree with that. Again, it's, this is standard practice. It's, uh, it's something that often happens on change, 
programs um is is okay well let's first of all before we try change the process before we think that there's things that need to be changed um let's make sure that the workforce understand what the current process is and actually mm. what we are currently doing and you as a leadership team do you really understand the process so i generally start mm. with a big brown paper exercise where we we just we really break down the current process not what we'd like it to be not even what the standard operating procedures say that it should be but actually what are we doing now and the only people who can really do that with some help with facilitation is the workforce themselves because they know what they're doing so yeah observation if you can get some filming of that that's great but you know the workforce themselves need to be able to identify what the current process is oh this is what i do then and this is what i do now and this is how we do this and this is how we do that and you end up with this big ugly looking process map that is complicated there's some parallel process that processes that happen and we get them to stick little notes on all the different bits where we could look at that in a bit more detail and and so what's happening and it i think it would be a mistake for many again many people who do this don't really know why they're doing it they think this is part of the implementation that i as the manager need to get to them but actually that's what isn't what's happening what should be happening during this process is that the workforce and the management, whoever's doing this, are making sense of what's actually happening in front of them. So Vike talks about this sense-making process, that actually what happens in industry, in all sorts of, in offices everywhere, is that what we're constantly doing is trying to make sense of what's in front of us and understand what's happening. And then that allows us to make choices about what to do next. So what you're doing here is you're, you're creating a common sense-making activity where everybody is trying to make sense of what's happening and really understand it. From this right. falls out better ways of doing things. Um, and that then becomes the core of the change. So sure, the management has identified that we could do this better, um, but mm -hmm. actually the, the bones of the change is coming from the individuals themselves. Um, and that, I, I believe, is a is a much more effective way. But I'll, I'll tell you, you know, my experience of how it does and doesn't work in a minute as well. But I just want to get your, yeah. your sort of response to that. Yeah, um, you know, uh, it's, it's uh, I don't know, there, then I worry about that too, because we did some of that brown brown board, if you'd like to call it that. Yeah. <clears throat> we, get, we get these sheets of paper, flip charts everywhere, and um, it created chaos hmm. because there still had to be a decision that was made. Like, at what point, at what point do you say, hey, we appreciate your opinion and your buy-in, but we're not putting that on our pizza. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, there I go yeah. again with my food illustrations. I'm sorry. It's, it's... <laughs> I'm always hungry <laughs> but, after I've spoken yeah, to always, you. Always, like, I don't know what it is about this podcast. I'm hungry again. <laughs> and I had a nice breakfast. But um, yeah. but anyway, you know, so so it's like it goes there. But, but then I go, well, but I've been in classes where someone comes up with an ingenious idea it's this little speck on the board and you're like, wow, let's take that and let's work with that. So it generates, it generates buy-in, but I go back to the, um, the, the feelings is, is you, you have to, you have to make people feel like they're involved in, and not, I'm not saying from a sales approach because they can tell when they're being BS, but I'm saying genuinely, you say, I want to know what you think is going to work 
with this and then and then and then go on that so um because well, last episode, we talked about this charismatic leadership. If you say, hey, everybody put your ideas on the board, let's all look at it and everything. And then you toss it away in the rubbish bin. And then you say, this is what we're going to do. There has to be something that you take away. Um, it may not even be the most optimized way to do it, but it still works. Again, let them have that. You got to you got to celebrate. I say the small wins. You got to point out, hey, look at this and then and then go with it. It's just a it's it's a fine balance. I just think I think in all of this, it's 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 like just picking one particular way to do it is is always going to fail eventually. If you can't have it's almost like you have to have change within trying to change. <laughs> so well, I mean, that is profound, Jared, but absolutely right. Yeah, no, it's it's true. But um I, I, just to go back to the the brown paper exercise, for sure. instance, um, that I was talking about. I think it's important. What is important is to know where you're up to with yeah. your change. So sure. for me, what that is, that is, and it's really this is the bit that I do have to be a bit um, bossy, dare I say, yeah. uh, bossy yeah. with my with my um, my team who are doing this with me. And I'm I normally mm-hmm. do it as a consultant now, so I'm not their line yeah. manager. But but I, I, sure. I have to take the lead in that in that room. Obviously, that's the that's what you're there for. Um, but what what I'm trying to do there is to emphasize that this actually we're not looking for ideas about how to improve it yet. This is not about identifying improvement ideas. So, you know, we're not actually interested yet in you might put a little asterisk on something to say i I have got something there okay well let's not forget it we don't want to get into it now actually what the exercise is it is purely to um to identify what our current state is what we are currently doing and and if you start if you start getting disagreements about that well that's also really important data because that is telling you that as a as an organization or as a business, as a team, we don't actually know. We haven't got a settled idea about what we're doing. So that in itself is really important. So I think a bit of chaos at that point, um, a bit of disagreement. No, we don't do that. Yeah, we do. That's great. <laughs> we want to get that out. You know, let's let's yeah. put that up on the board. So this becomes actually this is a like sense making of any type is a mm-hmm. slightly uncomfortable um process. You know, if you sort of if if you closed your eyes now and um, I was to walk you out of your room and out onto the street somewhere, when you opened your eyes, it would take a bit of time. You would be a bit disorientated. You would have Mm -hmm. to work out, okay, where am I? You know, which direction am I going in? Where's my hotel? You'd have to be thinking about those things. So it's a bit disorientating, but it is really important. Otherwise you're not going to know where you are. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's what that process is about. Yeah. Then when you start to get onto your process engineering bits, which is when you're saying, okay, um, we need to know how we're going to change this. I'm a real big fan of adult to adult, you know? Okay, guys, there's, there's three different ideas here. Can we do all three? Maybe it's impossible because they are mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Okay. We can't do all three. Clearly, you know, we're, we're grown up enough to know that we can't mm-hmm. do all three of these. Um, sure. Now, maybe I, as a manager, know something they don't. I share that with them. Um, so I think, I think yes, there is, of course, uh, an understanding that this process is not going to, it's not a democracy in the sense that, 
you know, whosever ideas gets the most votes, that's what we're going to do. That's not the way this works. But it is an adult attempt to, first of all, make sense of what's happening and then to identify the, the best way to do it. But, yeah, I mean, no. um, Jared, you know, it, and listeners, it might sound like I I think I know how to do this every single time, but I have failed miserably in this. And part, part in the past and part of my passion here is because yeah. I've been there and, you know, followed the, the sort of strict cotter. I mean, the, the example I gave you before about being told by our managers that this was a disaster and waiting to happen. So yeah. it didn't yeah. work, you know, it didn't yeah. work. So it doesn't always work. And therefore, True. I've learned from painful experience, but I've also tried to do it the other way, and that hasn't always worked. So I think your point is well made that, yes, we need to be flexible in order to monitor what's working, what doesn't, and almost do that plan, do, check, act cycle for our own change process as well. So, yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, there, you probably, if you want to, if you want to lead through change, one of the big things is, um, and it goes against a lot of uh, leaders, is that humble mindset. Um, oh, definitely. I, I, um, I was thinking about recently. Um, you know, Delta Airlines is one of our one of our bigger airlines here in the U.S. And um, they, they, uh, we'll just say they proverbially screwed over the ones that actually use their planes, the uh, the business travelers that are putting in thousands of miles a week flying. And they they're like, oh yeah, all your all your points don't matter. They they were more about who is spending the big bucks, right? Right. And uh, so they were like, now you don't get access to our luxury lounges at the airports and everything. But there was such a big upstir that basically uh, they came back and like, hey, sorry about that, <laughs> and and they yeah. walked it back. And um, I, I think uh, you know maybe maybe uh, to your point, you find out maybe you do some type of shock and awe change to basically get yourself a, 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 a barometer. What, where are we at with this? What do people really want? Well, they found out really quickly, one, who, who, who were their most valuable customers <laughs> and how many of them felt that way. And so, you know, cause sometimes you put 12 people in a room and all these marketing analysts and they just think they know more than everybody. And then they really, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't have a really good finger on the pulse of the customers, yeah. but as leaders, maybe maybe we just because there's there's uh, there's nobody screaming or complaining about problems. It's like maybe I'm not saying create problems, but a change will let you know this is either a good change or a bad change. And it and it and you, yeah, I guess you have to also be careful and not think that well nothing happened. It could be a change that creates problems later on down the road. It's not just an immediacy to it, but it could be something that that is going to have repercussions maybe a year from now. So it's goodness. It's I think that's why people don't like change sometimes because they're like, well, if it's not broke, don't try to fix it till it is. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there's a there's another. That's a statement again that I I tend to challenge that people don't like change. And I, I know you said that yourself, and, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, and and I, you know, in well, some that's respects, that's I'm true. keep saying it because I just want to. I want to get you know <laughs> reaction. Again, this is a this depends how you think about it. So people yeah. don't like change is a is a, a trope that is accepted without question um and i i would say up to a point that's true but the big thing about change okay let me give you an example um most of us in the 
developed world perhaps not so much these days because we don't have quite so much spare cash but most yeah. of us at some point think it's important for us to get away for a holiday a vacation for a couple of weeks a year at least and you know sometimes we, we spend thousands of pounds or dollars on that um that trip to get away and so what is that if that's not change you know i'm i'm giving up my bed i'm going to a different country or a different state i'm i'm going to stay in a place i don't normally live i'm eating food i don't normally eat um that is change and we're doing it to ourselves most of mm -hmm. us at some point start a relationship or end a relationship or move house or change jobs so Sure, we have a bit of nervousness about it, but we do change all the time. We are constantly changing and we actually make it happen ourselves. So for me, the thing that's really people don't like about change is when it's foisted upon us. We don't like change that is not fair, of fair our point. making. Yeah. And this again leads me to the point that if only we could make change so natural and equip our teams with the skills and knowledge in order to constantly make change happen. Actually, that's what we want. We want constant change that is thoughtful, observed. Uh, we, we measure the effect of that change and then we make adjustments that, again, that Deming cycle that I mentioned, that sort of principle. If we're doing that, if we equip, equip our teams, um, yeah, unless we're talking about big change where, people get moved from one side of the country to the other or they have a different job title or whatever yes i understand people don't like that that's because it's being foisted upon them so yeah it's and it, and you know i don't think we can we both don't have to be wrong on this it, i think it oh, no, is no. one of these it just, areas it, that it depends, depends on what type of what type of change we're talking about yeah, right i mean like yeah. so so traveling a lot and i'm sure you've had this happen you get the little ding on your phone oh your flights changed and you're like well crap yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. But what's what's funny about that is like so almost say beyond just the change that we're okay with and the change we're not okay with is also do we have can can we do anything about that change? Yeah. Like I guess yeah. I guess with the airline stuff, I've never gotten worked up about it because what are you gonna do? Go bang on the door and say, Hey, come on, Captain, we need to take off. You know, it's like it is what I I I, yeah. I almost uh just go, it is what it is. Um, but somehow we develop in our minds with a lot of change, uh, especially in the workplace, as we say, why do they have to do this? Why? You know, we start asking yeah. why is like they didn't have to make this change. And so then then that's where we're resistant to it. And then you have to have because like you go back to the CEOs and other ones like they're not a good track record. Usually when people hear about change, especially in the workplace, they're like, well, this isn't good or who are they getting rid of or what's this? Are we going to get a dock in our pay? You know, there's always the, we have a tendency to go to the negative side when we're thinking about change, whereas change can also be for the positive. But how do you, how do you get that? How do you get uh, people to go, wow, I'm really excited about this change. And that's going back to some of the things you talked about, getting by and yeah. finding out where people are at first before you even talk about what changes are going to be made. I mean, that's all that's all so important. Uh, helping helping them identify it. so um a very simple uh, um, example of this was we did this has gone back many years um we did some work with a printing company that um, prints packaging um for food manufacturers and um they 
they wanted to improve or change their changeover system. So, you know, printing one thing and then you, you need to stop that and do the next job. And this particular organization, they were taking like an hour or two um, to do their changeover. So you can imagine, you know, changing a printing setup is quite a lot of work to do with that. Um, so, you know, we could have gone in there and said, right, okay, we're going to watch what you're doing and we're going to identify where you can do it better and um, and then implement that change. But actually what we did is we we told, we we did a project with them, with the printers themselves. And we said, right, okay, let's, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll let you video what you're doing. So they videoed it and we all watched it back. And they're, you know, they started sort of laughing. At, Where have I gone there? You know, I've wandered off there for half an hour, gone to look for something, and it's taken me that time to go and come back again. And they were kind of, it was the realization, but it was them that were identifying it. So again, I come back to yeah. this idea that it, it, and it, to, to be honest, it's a lot about feelings of power and powerlessness and also trust. So that's a big factor. In in industry, we I think as managers, we have a problem in that the structures that we have in organizations don't create trust, generally speaking. So when we say mm-hmm. there's going to be a change, but don't worry, it's not going to affect you, people don't believe yeah. us. Yeah. And yeah. so so it's important, I think, that element too. Um, and it's this feeling that I'm being pushed around like pieces on a board um mm-hmm. and i don't like it i want some agency so for me that's that's the cultural change that really needs to happen sure. within organizations yeah so here, here's a real life scenario I've always, I've always thought about this this can be a struggle when um i, I consider myself to be in middle management um yeah. but you, so so you're uh you're you're asked by the higher ups to say we need to implement this or you're going yeah. to do this and um I'm not saying I've ever made this mistake, but perhaps where you say you to your to your workers, I, I don't really like what they're asking us to do, but we need to go ahead and do it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. that that, um, you know, that's not really leading by example. It's almost like you're trying yeah. to create a hey, I'm with you, fellas. <laughs> and yeah. and um, but that can be a struggle. So sometimes there's a gap between it's almost like uh, not to use a World War One reference, but the uh, the captain blows the whistle and everybody comes out of the trench, right? And sometimes we think, oh, if I just blow the whistle, then everybody's just going to jump out. And <laughs> there's repercussions. Obviously, they didn't come out of the trench, right? But but um, you know, it's 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 uh, you've got to believe it yourself as a leader when you're when you're helping to lead through change. Otherwise, they're going to see right through it. Because going back to what you said about sales, no, we're not salesmen, but they can also tell if we don't really believe in the process, we don't believe in what we're trying to accomplish. They, they can see right through it every time. So you, you you've got to ask the questions. You know, if you're not if you're not certain about something, say, hey, I know you want me to implement this, what, why, so forth. You got to get all that down into you before you can again give it to the people that you're leading. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, it's easier for someone like me who I don't work for an organization. I have my own sure. consultancy. So I'm able to, and I do this now, I'm much more confident of saying this to more senior managers, uh, you know, being confident enough to say, um, actually, this is the way we need to do it. We need to get the team together to identify the improvements that are going to need be needed rather mm-hmm. than, 
you need to get your ideas together and then roll it out or roll it down, yeah. you know? So I'm yeah. able to do that. I think as a middle manager, it's more difficult. Um, and I, I also agree with you that it's not a good idea to say, you know, I hate this idea, but um, we're going to have to do <laughs> yeah. it anyway, because yeah. that does undermine your credibility as a leader, doesn't it? Right. it? It makes you sure look does. like you're, you're weak. And so, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't recommend that. But I think it's right on a podcast like this anyway to to be um, saying to managers at, at all levels, you know, actually there is a – I'm not saying that the workforce get to decide everything that they do, but I think there is loads of room for more involvement in terms of the actual detail of what's going to happen and why. And equipping them to do that work in terms of identifying the changes that need to be made um oh. can really can really work now um i i have also found that 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 hasn't worked at times and that is often because this trust problem is so deep that even when you say to people you know right i want you to get involved at this level of this stage then still that's really hard for some people to accept that mm -hmm. and they think there's something else going on so yes it's it's um i don't think we have a simple formula here either it's it's it is difficult but can be difficult i agree with you i agree with you definitely oh well what an interesting conversation i really enjoyed that yeah yeah this was nice this was nice i know we could keep going on and on and on i mean because there's just so many things out there but um i was just thinking about like how how would you how would you sum all of this up is that yeah um you know i think the big thing is is that we cannot control change you know i mean at the end of the day you know like you said if the, the sun going up and sun going down and everything it made me think it's like you know, no one's stopping that from happening, right? <laughs> Sunrises and sunsets are always going on, but it's just like, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do about it? Uh, yeah. And, so I, uh, I think, you know, I, I think we have to learn to, in a way, you know, accept that change is part, it is part of existence. In fact, you know, um, physicists would tell you that um, existence is change. If you have, if nothing changed, literally nothing moved, then there would be no existence it is That's is right. life itself so change is is what life is about so yeah to imagine mm -hmm. that nothing's going to change is um is fooling ourselves and actually is desirable so yeah i think becoming comfortable with change equipping our teams for change um and um i think all the stuff you said around working with our teams to um to help them understand the need for it yeah absolutely but I, I do i still would like to leave that kind of idea ringing in our listeners minds that mm -hmm. the way we think about change can maybe sometimes be very itself quite rigid and top down and yes. change could happen at a much more organic yeah. level yeah that definitely definitely agree with you there Stephen. right well We've we've come to our hour, and you're um, away doing some work on um, on location or site. Yes. Um, so, yes. um, thank you for joining us from your hotel room today. I'm, I'm in the comfort. <laughs> Absolutely, of my, my pleasure. Um, so, listeners, if you like this podcast and if you want to uh, listen more, then don't forget to subscribe um, on whatever platform you're 
watching this or listening to this on. Um, and if you're on YouTube, then you've got a link to my uh, leadership and management programs through the Propec Training School. So please uh, join us there. There's also a LinkedIn group that I run. So join us on the LinkedIn group, and um, you know we can we can talk about this more. Um, and don't forget to let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. All right. Well, okay. until next Thank time. Thank you very much. <laughs> until next time. See you next yeah. time. Bye bye. See you. Bye.